I'm your host, Joe Goda, and this is Let's Break Good, the podcast where we never settle for good enough. How should social causes determine how much they pay their employees? Some argue that working in the world of doing good means sacrificing the type of pay one would expect in a corporate job. But does this mindset cause there to be less talent, money, and results from organizations that are saving lives and improving our planet? Or does the enormous needs of the poor and vulnerable mean there's a moral obligation to keep salaries low? On this episode, we investigate the nonprofit pay dilemma. We'll explore the story of a man who raised millions of dollars for charity and then lost it all after the media took issue with his pay. How did he recover from this devastating setback and go on to change the way many look at nonprofit compensation? Let's get into it. Let's get started. I want to break free. In 2014, Yale University published the results of an experiment that had the goal of measuring attitudes towards pay and charitable work. The researchers presented their experiment subjects with the following situation. Imagine you need to choose a third-party group to run a charity event that will raise money to help the needy. You have two different groups to select from, Fundraiser A and Fundraiser B. Fundraiser A will charge you a flat rate of $10,000 to run the event no matter how much money they raise. Fundraiser B will charge you 5% of the total amount of money that they raise. Fundraiser A will be able to raise you $1 million while getting paid their flat rate fee of $10,000. Fundraiser B would raise $1.1 million, resulting in you needing to pay them $55,000 for running the event. So who do you choose? In the Yale study, the majority selected Fundraiser A, even though it actually meant less overall money for the charitable cause. The researchers manipulated the total amounts each fundraiser would be able to raise and found that participants in the study were willing to lose out on over $170,000 for charity by choosing the flat rate fee fundraiser over the percentage deal that would pay the group significantly more. How did the researchers explain this outcome? They attributed the results to a sentiment of tainted altruism, the idea that a good act doesn't count if the actor benefits as well, that individuals will object to money raised for a charitable cause if they feel the person raising the money is also profiting a lot of money. The researchers called the resulting losses in charitable donations due to this feeling the Pelota Dilemma. The name refers to Dan Pelota had to deal with the real-world consequences of the effects measured in this Yale study. Starting from his years at Harvard University in the early 1980s, Dan Pelota showed a significant skill for fundraising. He was an innovator that developed the then-novel strategy of supporting decentralized, individual-led fundraisers through powerful experiential events such as community walks and bike rides. He was the originator of the AIDS Rides and the Avon Breast Cancer Walk. The fundraising strategies Pelota pioneered were highly lucrative for the charities and causes that they benefited. Pelota turned his fundraising acumen into his own business called Pelota Works. In over nine years, 
generated $305 million for unrestricted uses by charities. I've worked long enough in the nonprofit world to confidently say that fundraising this type of money for use in unrestricted fashion is both incredibly difficult to do and a game changer for organizations that receive it. But with the successful fundraising came scrutiny and a critical focus on the fact that Dan Pelota's company wasn't a charity or a nonprofit, but rather a for-profit company that created and managed charitable events. In the early 2000s, Pelota's annual salary became public, leading to the media and critics becoming hysterical at the number, $394,500. Sure, maybe that was in line for a corporate executive at a company like Goldman Sachs, but it was considered a whole lot for a charitably focused organization. And this amount was in addition to the millions of dollars that Pelota Works spent on marketing and other expenses. The negative attention and bad press on Pelota Works was too much for the charities that they were working with. They terminated their partnership with the company. In 2002, the fallout caused Dan Pelota's company to go out of business and all of his employees were laid off. What happened next? The charities that Pelota Works had been raising funds for tried to manage their own fundraising events. And what they saw was that the total net sum of money they raised dropped significantly. Without Pelota and his team behind the events, the amounts the charities received at the end of the day was much, much less. For example, those walks for breast cancer research, according to records, plummeted from $71 million to $11 million raised. That's $60 million lost for charity in just one year. Even though Pelota had seen his company go under, he was not going to fade quietly into the night. He would go on to challenge publicly the way people think about nonprofit pay. Now on the salary question, how much is that executive director making? Well, we hear $80,000 and we think, okay, I'm comfortable with that. We hear $400,000, we think, no way, I'm not gonna give to that charity. But what if the $80,000 person hardly ever shows up to work, isn't very productive, isn't very bright, doesn't produce good results, but the $400,000 person raises 100 times their salary every year. If you don't have that information, you don't know whether a $400,000 salary is a lot or cheap. And you don't know whether an $80,000 salary is cheap or way too much money to be paying that person. The trouble with these questions, that's the trouble with these questions for the donor. Now, the way that translates over to charity, charities know that donors want very low overhead. So charities do everything they can to reduce their overhead, including I'm not going to spend on fundraising, I'm not going to spend on infrastructure, I'm not going to spend on the right technology and communication equipment, so they can't possibly grow. If they can't grow, they can't possibly end hunger, cure breast cancer, all of the things that we actually want them to do. So it's actually in the donor's best interest to find out what are your goals, what progress are you making, and how do you know? I don't care what your overhead is. As a longtime nonprofit professional who likes to also break outdated ways of doing good, I can say that I also have firsthand experience with what Dan Pelota is talking about. It's an incredibly personal subject for me. When I worked at the United Nations, I observed long-time bureaucrats with six-figure salaries and amazing perks, like getting their living expenses paid for, as well as their federal and income taxes getting covered by the UN. Yet these individuals were incredibly resistant to change, cared more about keeping legacy systems in place than grassroots impact, and were generally disconnected from the needs at the community level that they were supposedly working for. 
After witnessing a number of promotions that revealed a system that rewarded the defense of inefficient status quo over actions that would more effectively meet the mission of the organization, I started to advocate for performance-based pay at the UN. That didn't go over very well. I didn't make many friends of the organizations with this idea. Now on the other end of the spectrum, I worked at another nonprofit where individuals were chronically underpaid, like not enough to afford living in the major city the nonprofit was based, unless maybe you came from money, had taken a second job, had a spouse who was making money, or you were simply okay with substandard minimalist living. Low pay was part of the culture at the nonprofit, and so were long hours, including unpaid overtime. Project travel needed? Go to the cheapest option and find the most inexpensive hotel. Maybe even try and sleep on the couch of a colleague or partner if that was available. You were supposed to pinch every penny. Due to this culture, this organization saw a breathtaking amount of turnover. Every other week there was a going away party. Talented employees never seemed to last very long. A lot of grunt work relied on unpaid interns that cycled throughout the year, and the employees that did stay were privileged so the pay didn't matter or they were very disgruntled. The overall performance of these employees in the organization was not very inspiring. You get what you pay for, as the saying goes. Then how can we start navigating our way through this nonprofit pay dilemma between too much and not enough? Let's go back to Dan Pelota. What did he do after seeing his company shut down? He spoke up and took his ability to generate attention for a cause into advocating for a total rethink on nonprofit compensation. Here's Dan again, talking powerfully about how the nonprofit pay dilemma keeps the best and brightest out of the world of doing good. Business Week did a survey, looked at the compensation packages for MBAs 10 years out of business school. And the median compensation for a Stanford MBA with bonus at the age of 38 was $400,000. Meanwhile, for the same year, the average salary for the CEO of a $5 million plus medical charity in the US was $232,000, and for a hunger charity, $84,000. Now, there's no way you're going to get a lot of people with $400,000 talent to make a $316,000 sacrifice every year to become the CEO of a hunger charity. Some people say, well, that's just because those MBA types are greedy. Not necessarily, they might be smart. It's cheaper for that person to donate $100,000 every year to the hunger charity, save $50,000 on their taxes, so still be roughly $270,000 a year ahead of the game, now be called a philanthropist because they donated $100,000 to charity, probably sit on the board of the hunger charity, indeed probably supervise the poor SOB who decided to become the CEO of the hunger charity, and have a lifetime of this kind of power and influence and popular praise still ahead of them. Today, Pelota runs his own consulting company, does numerous speaking gigs, and his writings pop up in publications from the Huffington Post to the Harvard Business Review. In these works, he's developed a strong argument that we need to break the tradition of underpaying nonprofit workers. He asks us to consider why we allow people to make huge profits doing any number of things that will hurt the poor, but we'll jump to crucify individuals who want to make money helping them. Want to make a million selling violent video games to kids, Pelota writes? Go for it. Want to make a million helping cure kids of cancer? You're labeled a parasite. Pelota explains that too many people see charity as a zero-sum game, in which any money going to the professional is money being taken away from those suffering 
And that is a sin. Ironically, the closer and more intensely someone is to actually helping the poor and needy, the more they will get analyzed and criticized for the amount of pay they're getting. I appreciate Pelota's perspective and would like to add on some of my own. First, a message to those that argue working for a charitable cause should mean you are willing to, to take a pay cut, that by not selecting a corporate job and trying to help people for a living, you should know that means sacrificing and taking a low pay. Well, I say this is a moral high ground argument that feels good to make, like you are taking the side of the poor and needy, and that it's especially easy to say by those who are not working in the nonprofit sector or the result of arguing that side doesn't affect them or their livelihood. At the same time, I do think we need to be critical of not just nonprofit pay, but how charities spend their budgets overall. We need to have accountability on charitable causes, because without it, I have seen firsthand how nonprofit leadership can become inefficient and complacent, thanks to what I would call a sense of righteousness. It's downright pathetic to think there's no need to have real checks about performance and making a difference because the intent is good, and that's all that should matter. This skewed thinking comes from a supposed moral high ground, just like those that are complaining about the pay levels in nonprofits. All of this matters because there's only a growing need in the world. And that means we need to ask even more from our social good groups. Dan Pelota believes that this should create some urgency that we all take into account and look differently at the nonprofit sector. And that's where the nonprofit sector and philanthropy come in. Philanthropy is the market for love. It is the market for all those people for whom there is no other market coming. And so if we really want, like Buckminster Fuller said, a world that works for everyone, with no one and nothing left out, then the nonprofit sector has to be a serious part of the conversation. But it doesn't seem to be working. Why have our breast cancer charities not come close to finding a cure for breast cancer, or our homeless charities not come close to ending homelessness in any major city? Why has poverty remained stuck at 12% of the U.S. population for 40 years? And the answer is, these social problems are massive in scale, our organizations are tiny up against them, and we have a belief system that keeps them tiny. Okay, so there's a lot at stake. Then what can we do about this nonprofit pay dilemma? The answer is actually relatively simple, but also incredibly difficult to achieve. What we need is a better way to measure the performance of the nonprofit worker. With a standardized way to know which individuals and teams are making the biggest difference in the world, then top performers could be compensated as such, and a positive feedback loop could be created, causing more talent influxes and retention of the most effective positive change makers. However, in the corporate world, there's one very easy metric to base performance on, profits and sales. But in the nonprofit world, that is not the case. How do you measure the impact of advocacy or activism to overcome social injustices that may take years to overcome? How about research into curing diseases and cancers that could take decades and have a lot of failure along the way? Yes, it's hard, but not impossible. I'm not saying there's no way to do this. Independent auditors such as Charity Navigator and Charity Watch are already developing ways to measure performance at the organizational level. Now, what we really need is more brain power on the nonprofit pay dilemma itself. 
someone to develop a performance-based pay system for the United Nations or a methodology to allocate social good bonuses for high performers in nonprofits. But we aren't there yet. Old ways of thinking are still pervasive, and there is no easy answer to the performance measurement question. However, we can agree not to live on the extremes. Let's not act ashamed that someone in the nonprofit sector is making a healthy six-figure salary and hold the outrage until we look critically at the results of the work. Here's the truth. I, along with most who have dedicated themselves to a career in social good, don't want to get rich. What those who are truly changing the world want is pay at a fair value for the difference we're making. That brings us to the end of the episode, and I want to show my gratitude for everyone who makes this podcast possible. Our producer, Simon Green, who you can find on Twitter, at G. We thank him for always making the podcast sound so great. Special shout out to Dan Pelota, who you can get in contact with. He's still active, and his talks and more information about what he does is available at danpelota.com. This recording was done on the Zencaster platform, hosted with SoundCloud, and spread on platforms like Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and Spotify. If you're interested to further challenge the way you think about money in the nonprofit sector, check out our episode from earlier this season called The Price of Free. Finally, you can pay me an awesome holiday bonus by liking and subscribing to the podcast. Follow us on Twitter at Let's Break Good and visit letsbreakgood.com for more information or to get in touch with us. Until next time, I'm Joe Goda, and you've been listening to the Let's Break Good podcast. But life still goes on. I can't get used to living without, living without, living without you by my side.